0: glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is John, and I am blessed to serve as a pastor here. And I just want to say, uh, if you were here last week, wasn't last weekend amazing? Uh, I was uh, so thankful for for Stefan and the worship team as they led us in Good Friday service and just, just the power of looking at a suffering Savior. It was a powerful service. And then last Easter, I don't know about you, but uh, the highlight for me was watching, uh, well, there was a couple highlights, but first it was people raising their hand, stating they gave their life to Christ. Uh, and then they took, yeah, you can clap. And then some of them even became more bold and proclaiming their faith and stood up in an unfamiliar space. And then even some walked forward and, and put an orange ball in the display. Wasn't that awesome to watch? And uh, I I was uh, thinking as they were singing that old hymn, Blessed Assurance, and that one of, I think it's the last verse, this is my story, this is my song. And they were, did you catch that they were singing those exact words as people were, they were displaying, demonstrating their new story in Christ, right? And it was just amazing. I've been thinking about it all week. I've been excited to get back and talk about it. And so we're, we're glad that you chose. I, I, I've already greeted a few of this morning that were here for the first time last week and you, you came back and there's new guests here this morning. I want to thank you for being here. And uh, we just, uh, at Hallmark, we just, we, we want to love Jesus, right? As Stephanie said, there's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect people. I mean, that's what James said. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And then when you get two people together who stumble in many ways, you have a lot of stumbling going on, right? And again, as we said last week, what we have figured out at Hallmark is that we don't have it all figured out. And uh, and now, if there's any marriage that's close to being perfect, it's probably mine. (laughs) Just because I'm so, you know... Well, I mean, I'm me, right? Okay. Yeah. I don't even know where to go from there. Right? By the way, if, if you have recently given your life to Christ, we have a baptism class right after the service today in uh, the family center, room 104. If you don't know where that is and you wanna be a part of a baptism class, I'll be right on the foyer and I'll, I'll have somebody show you the way or I'll, I'll take you right there to it. We are starting a series today called Relationship Status. I saw this image a couple months ago. And so I asked Jeremy to kind of rework it for us. And I love this, talk, like single, dating, married, and what's the last one say? How many of you would agree with that if you're married? Complicated. The truth is, I, I have been blessed to have been able to watch in uh, godly marriages my, my entire life. Uh, my parents, my mom and dad, on June the 6th coming up, they're going to be celebrating their 54th wedding anniversary. Yeah, not that awesome? My mom says they're still in their 50s, so I haven't figured that one out, but, but next week, My dad is going to be preaching for us and talking about how how to last in marriage, and he has some experience in that. Now, he was blessed because he had four perfect children, so that helped his marriage a little bit uh, in that aspect. But also, my in-laws are just a few rows behind my parents. They just celebrated their 52nd wedding anniversary. Pretty awesome. Um, On February the 14th, 1993... I propose to my wife, which means July 31st, 2023 will be our 30th wedding anniversary. Yeah. I mean, my wife deserves some kind of an award for that, right? Right? So when I think about legacy in marriage, right? My My sister and her husband in August will celebrate their 31st anniversary. My brother and his wife in January celebrated their 29th wedding anniversary. Three out of the four of Joy and I's grandparents celebrated 50 plus or 60 years of marriage. We've had it modeled for us. And I don't want to give you all those numbers to say, wow, they're so good. I want you to realize that, that having a godly marriage is possible. And when we look in the world today, it's hard to see a model of, what does a godly marriage look like? As Stephanie said, there's no perfect marriage, and I don't even like to use the term good marriage. I think you just have to realize our goal is a godly marriage, that we wanna honor God in our life, and we try to do that together. And today, I wanna kind of focus on that first aspect of the relationship status, like single. How many of you are single? Raise your hand, all right? Because it's probably a big percentage of our church. How many of you are married? All right? How many of you who are single wish you were married? How how many of you are married wish you were? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. I didn't even finish that one. All right? If you started to raise your hand, we have a marriage conference in two weekends. And you definitely need it. But the title, if we're going to land on a title, will be Finding the One. Finding the One. Uh, You know, 30 years ago, there was a young 19-year-old walked into the school cafeteria and she looked across the room and she saw the one She came over and asked me, what are you doing today? And here we are 30 years later. She's thankful she found the one, aren't you? I love telling that story because nobody believes it. In fact, just a few weeks ago, my dad asked me, is that true? And he didn't ask me. He asked her. And it is true. I won't give you the rest of that story, but... So one of our core values at Hallmark is that we want to be biblically driven. I think before we start this series on talking about marriage and finding the one, I think maybe it might be best that we look at what does it mean to be married? Like, what is the definition of marriage? And, and when we think about our culture, they've kind of... I would say they've kind of blurred the lines, but they really haven't blurred the line. They've erased the line, Right? But what Jesus, what the Lord teaches us in, in Genesis chapter two, verse twenty four, if a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. And so this is what God intended for marriage. That will be one man male, all right? And I'm still of the mindset that you can determine that, okay? There's one man and there's one woman, and they are to get married and make a covenant together, and that's supposed to be one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's God-intended purpose for marriage. And so as I say that we are a biblically-driven church, let me define what that means as well. That means that we will not adjust the Bible to fit our lifestyle. We're going to adjust our lifestyle to fit the Bible, because I can twist a lot of things in Scripture to, to make what I want to do okay. And that's not what we're about at this church. What, what does the Bible teach us? And so even though culture may say some marriage is something different, this is what, how God defines marriage. This is God's plan for marriage. And I think it's important to even define that as you think about like finding the one. And my goal at the end of this message is not for you to have been married 20 years, like, oh, I found the wrong one, right? That's not that's not the goal. But it may be today that at the end of the message you're dating someone who you think is the one and you realize, oh wait, this person's not the one. Right? Because the, the best protection f- from a bad marriage is don't get married, right? And if you're married to the wrong one, I want to show you a picture. This is going to, it's going to feel like a left turn a little bit, but I'll, I'll explain. This is a picture of me and Keith Matthews, all right? And uh, this is not our marriage ceremony, all right? We've already defined that. Just to make that clear. I, I hadn't even thought about that till Carlos started laughing when he saw the picture. And I knew real quick that our student pastor needed some more direction or understanding. That's what you were thinking, right, Carlos? Carlos, look up at me. All right, so... I know, man. I don't even know. I've said a lot of weird things today. Let's start over. God is good, and all the time. My name is John, and I, now, So this is Mount Whitney, as you can read this, this the sign there, fourteen thousand five hundred five feet. This was in August of 2019. Uh, I don't have time to tell you all of the story, but here's an interesting fact. So. As you see, Mount Whitney is 14,505 feet. It's the, the highest point in the lower 48 states. And, but here's an interesting fact. So Mount Everest is twice as tall, 29,029 feet, almost exactly twice as tall as Mount Whitney. Did you know that 56% of people who climb or try to summit Mount Everest, 50% fail? You could understand why, correct? Did you also know that 70% of people who attempt to summit Mount Whitney fail? Mount Whitney has a 14% higher failure rate, although it's half the altitude. And began to think, wonder why that was. Let me just read a statement The number one reason for failing to summit Mount Whitney remains the complete lack of preparation for the rigors and hazards of the climb. Most people underestimate altitude effects and overestimate their level of conditioning. In other words, they just have this idea in their head, wow, I could have this amazing picture of me and my friend Keith. We're going to post it on Instagram. It's pretty easy to get a permit. I can drive up there from pretty much anywhere in California, and I can walk up supposedly in one day and walk back down. And it doesn't really cost much to summit Mount Whitney. So all these people have this grand idea, never really putting the work in to what it's gonna take to climb to the top. And that's why 70% of people who try to attempt this hike fail. I think the same could be said in, in marriages. Yeah. Now, we have this grand idea of what marriage is going to be, and I've found the one, and oh, isn't the picture going to be great, and yet we don't, we're not biblically ready, spiritually ready, and we haven't put the work in. If you don't put the work on the front end, well, it's going to be messy in the middle of it, isn't it? And so that's kind of the goal today as we think about finding the one. And our, our culture is that way, right? So did you know that in, in, in Texas last year, the average wedding cost $27,000? That's a lot of money. I'm, my, our daughter got married, you know, about two and a half years ago. And thank God we spent way less than that. <laughs> Don't move to New Jersey, though. The average last year was fifty-one thousand for a wedding. If you are wanting to get off cheap, move to Kansas, Oklahoma, or Utah, because the average is sixteen thousand. Okay. I find it interesting. I read this statistic. Uh, some uh, economic professors did a study on three thousand married couples. Here's interesting. The less, this is their finding, the less expensive the wedding, the more likely the marriage would last. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, dad, I'm trying to help you. Got three daughters. I'll send you the link to this article. All right, guys, I'm gonna help you now. The more money spent on engagement rings, the more likely it was to lead divorce. And they, they, they even said this, so, those who, who spent two to $4,000 on an engagement ring were 1.3 times more likely to divorce than those who spent 500 to 2000 on an engagement ring. Now I know why Joy and I are still married. <laughs> I are cheap. Here's another interesting find. Weddings that cost more than 20000 are 1.6 times more likely to get a divorce. I'm... Guys, I'm trying to help you. I really am. I don't have time to dig into all of why that would be, but I think that it's because priorities do matter, right? And I think in our culture, it does, there's not much substance to anything. It's just, what does it look like, right? I'm trying to impress people, and so I'm not going to get into all that. But as we think about this morning, finding the one, Matthew chapter seven twenty four and Jesus is not talking about marriage specifically in this passage. I, I, I love almost every almost every song we sang today had the theme of this passage, right? Matthew chapter seven. As we think about finding the one, look what it says in verse twenty, uh, verse twenty four, Matthew twenty seven. Verse twenty-four. Am I saying Matthew twenty-seven? I was like, Matthew twenty-seven does not say what I'm thinking it's supposed to say. Matthew seven. All right. These glasses didn't help me at all. Matthew seven. How I maybe mean, we we're freaking out? Usually it's my wife freaking out more. Like he's so messing up. Verse twenty-four. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. This is Jesus talking. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came up, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Do we all know who the rock is? Not the wrestler. This is Jesus. Okay? Jesus but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. There's a, there's a, a great contrast here in there? Those who hear the words and the sayings of mine, those who hear the word of God and listen to the word of God, but do not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And look what this says. So I, in the context of marriage, let's think about this. What Jesus is saying that if you build your foundation on the rock, on Jesus, that when the storms come, you're your foundation is in Christ. Your, your life will be strong. You won't fall. You won't falter. You won't. But, but if, it, if you don't listen, verse 28. And so it was when Jesus, excuse me, verse, where am I? I completely lost my book. Someone tell me. 27. There it is. The rain descended. The floods came. The winds blew. That does kind of sound like marriage at times, doesn't it? And beat on The house. Those of you that have been married for a little while, like a day, marriage can be tough, can't it? It can feel like you're in a storm, right? Then add kids to the mix. Now the storm just got some crazy to it, right? But if your foundation is the Lord, what, what does it say? If it's not on the Lord, when the storms come, it fell, and great was its What? fall doesn't that seem to picture marriages today well it kind of goes back to to finding the one if you don't start your foundation correct the house is not going to be correct is it the rains came floods came kids had problems lost your job I mean, storms come, don't they? And if the foundation is on Christ, well, then the house will stay. If it's not on Christ, it's very clear what Jesus says. Great is its fall. Jimmy Evans, in his book, Marriage on the Rock, says this, the sound of marriages crashing around us is not evidence that marriages don't work but rather it demonstrates the lack of solid foundation for those marriages that fall. If we reject God's word and his plan, we cannot make the marriage work. For if it only works when we do it in God's way. Now, as, as again, we think about this title this morning, Finding the One, I, w- I want to give you some common misconceptions. To be fulfilled... Marriage is not going to do that for you. To, be, to feel complete, finding that spouse is not going to do that for you. Right? When you watch the movies, right? The famous movie, I never watched it, I know the line, you complete me. Isn't that what we think? And, and the reality is, for those of you who are single, who are looking for the one the one is never going to complete you. The one is never going to fulfill you. The one is never going to make you satisfied. And the problem with a lot of marriages is that we go into the marriage thinking that's going to happen. I have found the one, and now all of my insecurities are going to be gone, and now all my lust problems are going to be gone, and now all of you fill in the blank are going to be gone. And the reality is, the person that you married or the person you will marry, God never intended for them to fill the gap that's in your life. Only Jesus can fulfill you. Only Jesus can completely complete you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. you did you get the theme of all the music we sang this morning? That's what it was? Jesus. Only Jesus. So maybe we're asking the wrong question Maybe we should stop asking, how do I find the right person? And we should ask the question, how do I become the right person? So I'm going to give you the key to finding the right person right here. If you're single, it's going to be great. Write it down. Take a picture of the screen. It's, it's really deep. Seek the one while preparing for your two. In other words, Jesus is your one. Your spouse or future spouse is your two. In Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40 says this, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Listen, single, married, divorced, complicated, whatever it is. You, you want to know how to have fulfillment in life, peace in life? Put God first. If, if you're not married, quit seeking after that one that's going to complete you because that's not their job. Only God can complete you. Start seeking Jesus. You become the one that the one is looking for, right? I love this illustration. And and just to be honest, you kind of have to be careful how you uh, Google search for this, all right? Um, This is called what the love triangle, all right? So I'll let you guys think about that for a moment. I know what Carlos is thinking, but, but look what this says. When closer to God, I'm sorry, Carlos, just so you know, I love Carlos. He's a godly man. He would not, I would not let him lead our students. if He wasn't a godly man. All right. But he is fun to make fun of. All right. So I'm just telling you that. Look at this. When closer to God, the husband and wife will be closer to each other. Right? And that, that doesn't start after marriage. That should be a part of your pre-marriage. Stop seeking that person and start seeking God. The inverse of this is also true. The farther we get away from God, the distance between husband and wife is greater. And so even if you are sitting here, which the majority of the room it looked like this morning is married, If you're having marriage issues, can I tell you the easiest, quickest fix? Seek God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And what's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your, if you're married, who's your closest neighbor? Your spouse. And the truth is, I can't love my neighbor as myself if I don't first love God with all my heart, strength, soul, and mind. I have to, God has to be number one, and so, in our married life, I pursue God. Almost every time I have done and performed a wedding ceremony, I'll tell uh, the husband, so I'll just use my, uh, my son-in-law, my daughter's names. Riley, moving forward from this day. Do you know who the most important relationship that you must work on moving forward now that you are becoming a married man? It's not my daughter Blair. It's God. She's second. Blair, you know who the most important relationship you need to work on moving forward? It's not Riley. It's God. Do you you realize that if we would put everything we have into seeking and pursuing Christ, that a lot of our problems somehow disappear? You know what I think the number one problem in marriage is? Me. Me. I'm selfish. How many of you are selfish? Yeah, all of you. Trust me. Well, if that's not enough to convince you, let's, let's find another passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 mostly talks about money, but it's about priorities. And Jesus, again, is talking, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear? And I think that I could add into this, well, who shall we marry? I don't think I'm doing a dis- justice to Scripture by adding this other application. Don't worry, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or who we shall marry? Verse 32, for, off, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. verse 33, what does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek God first. Now, <clears throat> I don't have a verse and reference for this, but can I just give you my opinion for a moment? I want to talk specifically to like junior high and high school students for a moment um, and probably parents as well. Can I just give you my opinion? that I think that dating in junior high and high school is a big waste of time. I'm gonna say it again. Dating in junior high school is a big waste of time. Do you agree with that? All us old people do. Or those of you who can't get a date, you probably do too. It's time to sound spiritual. Yeah, I agree. I mean. All right, guys, let me junior high and high school guys, let me talk to you for a moment. It's gonna sound harsh, praying about it. Girls are a waste of your emotion, your time, and your money. I'm just trying to see, I don't know what how they're gonna respond. Girls, junior high high school girls, let me let me talk to you for a second. Guys are just a waste. <laughs> Period. Right? When they're in junior high and high school, they're not really good for much. Especially not dating. You know in our culture, and I, I hate seeing I hate seeing parents who encourage all this emotional baggage on a junior high and high school kid. Treating this girl or this boy as if they're a part of the family and going on. I mean, I, I'm meddling right now. I get it, but I think I'm meddling with some experience. It's not worth it. You know, you know what our dating in junior high school really is preparing us? You know, what, you know what it's practiced for? Divorce. Let me get emotionally attached to this person, make a commitment to this person. And then, you know what? Nah, there's someone else over there. Hey, it's nice knowing you. It's not you, it's me. Right? It's 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 not to your benefit to waste all those emotions on a serious dating relationship. Man, it is quiet in here. <laughs> Trust me. Alright. Here's kind of the main thought, I guess, of finding the one going back to our misconceptions about marriage. This may shock you, but do you know if, if you are single in here today that God's like ultimate purpose in your life is not for you to be married? Do you realize that? Like, it's okay to be single. John the Baptist, single. The Apostle Paul, single. There's this guy named Jesus... Single. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 through 8. I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in the manner and another in that. And and he's basically saying for him it was a gift of singleness, that God had given him a gift of singleness. He also says not everyone's called to that gift, okay? He, He will acknowledge that. Verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. Like, it's okay to stay single. God's ultimate purpose in my life was not that I got married. His ultimate purpose in my life was that I honor him. Are you guys tracking with me? Verse 38, this I say for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you. No, there's, I'm not telling you you cannot get married. But for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without what? Distraction. Now, in our culture, what I see most often is that the distraction of serving God in marriage most oftentimes is the men. I heard one amen. Thank you, Sherry. Everybody's too scared to say that, right? It's just the reality. And part of that is because God's plan for marriage is that you as men lead your home spiritually. And what we have in America is a pandemic of men leading spiritually. They just don't do it. Right? I'm I'm shooting everyone today, right? I'm stomping all over the place. Everyone's going to be mad at me by the end of this. That's okay. But it's the truth, isn't it? So Paul, Paul is saying, listen, the end goal for God's end goal for you is not necessarily to be married. His purpose for you is to serve him 100%, not distracted. I'm thankful that the person God gave to me 30 years ago now has helped me become more like Christ. And that's really what marriage should be about. That I'm helping her become more like Christ. She's helping me become more like Christ. And the the closer that each of us get to God, the closer we get to each other. But marriage is not, you know, a quick fix for anything. So the the reality is, no, I'm not telling you don't get married. That's that's what Paul is even saying. I'm not saying this to put a leash on you like you have to do this. He's just saying, that can't be the, f- like, you can't just be putting all your hopes in a, in a one day I'm gonna be married and everything's gonna be fine. It's the wrong focus. Not I'm not pursuing the one, I'm seeking the one, Jesus. And I'm waiting for the two, right? I'm waiting for God to send me someone. But the reality is, most people statistically are gonna get married. So let me give you, just in kind of in closing this morning, we're gonna go through these quickly. Three qualities that you need before marriage, right? Stop seeking for the one and start working on the one, right? Focus on yourself. Three, three qualities. I'm going to give you the three, and then we'll just kind of quickly walk through them. Number one, secure in Christ. Secure in Christ. I, I noticed in the, if you were looking at the pictures this morning on the New Believers class, Uh, I saw Caton with his son, Paxton, and Caton's shirt, I don't know if you read it. I read it because I was thinking about it. It said, uh, my identity. Then it said Jesus. My identity is found in Jesus, secure in Christ. Number two, strong in character. Strong in character. Number three, planted in community. So let's just look real quickly at these. Number one, secure in Christ. Colossians 2, verses 9 through 10. For in him, okay, in the him in this verse is Jesus. For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of God bodily. Like, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 10. And you are, look on the screen, what does it say? You are what? You can say it better now. You are what? Complete in who? Who's the hymn? Yeah, it's Jesus. I find my fulfillment, my purpose, my hope, my life in Christ. I must be secure in who I am in Christ. Psalm one thirty nine fourteen. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Can I just say this to all of us in the room today? Because I, I, I think all of us deal with some insecurities. I, I mean, I do. I inherited from my dad these huge ears. You know, you, <laughs> thanks, Dad. People uh, would say, he like a, from the back, you look like a Volkswagen with the doors open. Six and seven, my break. No words hurt. I remember that one. All right, let's. Can you help me out? How many of you will be honest? Yeah, I have some insecurities. Okay. Hopefully, it's not sweat stains. You're you're enough. You're you're loved. You don't you don't have to seek. Um, satisfaction, fulfillment, validation in anyone else because you are fearfully and wonderfully made by your creator. And and the psalmist said, and marvelous are his works. Like you are enough. And we spend so much time trying to play the part, look the part, be the part, and look for that person that's going to make us feel validated and, and the truth, it leads us to some really poor decisions, doesn't it. So we need to be secure who we are in Christ. If you're going to be someone's one you will you will do them a great blessing by just being secure in Christ. God loves you He's, I mean, he sent his son to die for you, secure in Christ, number two, strong in character. I love this statement. You don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. Can I say that again? You don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Then he lists these things and If we had time, we could unpack them, but I'll just just read the the verse. It's right here on the screen. Be an example to the believers in what? Conduct, in love, spirit, faith, and purity. And Paul is writing this to young Timothy. And, And I'll just say this. If you are not married and you're looking for the one, if this isn't what you're working on, then you're not ready to be somebody's one. Like, getting married's not gonna all of a sudden make you mature in Christ. It's, it's gonna be just like we read in Matthew 7, not 27, Matthew 7, when the storms come because as much as the, the wedding costs and the pictures are great and everything is, you know, Instagram worthy, when, when marriage life really begins, wow, it's difficult. I can't, uh, I mean, I'll just give you a, a moment of honesty here. When Joy and I first got married, I thought, wow, this is hard. I can't imagine what she was thinking. Like, who is this guy? Right? Marriage is hard. Don't, don't think that the the inconsistencies in your walk with Christ are going to be fixed because you get married. It's not. If you have a problem with lust and you think, oh, well, I'm going to get married, I won't have that issue. Now you're just a married person with the problem of lust. And it only makes it more difficult. And you can fill in all the blanks you want to talk about. It's just true. Character. Character. The last one is, I want you to be planted in community. I love this statement. So, the strength of your community will shape the quality of your life. Let me say it again and and add a different word. The strength of your community will shape the quality of your marriage. You, You probably know this statement. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Proverbs says it this way, He who, who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Back to Matthew chapter seven, right? Again, what's the contrast? Jesus says, if you will hear my words and then obey them, you'll have a strong foundation. And when the storms come, the house will be okay. But if you hear the words of mine and you don't do them, well, when the storm comes, great is the fall. And, and that's one of the reasons that we, we believe here at Hallmark, one of our core values is personally involved. We want you to be in community, connected, growing. Again, we have said this, we are a group of people who figured out we don't have it all figured out. And I need you to help me. And maybe you need me to help you. I want to encourage you. If you don't, if you're not connected to other believers in a real, transparent way, we have groups for you to be a part of. There's groups that meet before this service. There's groups that meet after this service. There's discipleship groups that meet throughout the week that you could get plugged into. We have a ministry at six thirty on Wednesday night called Regen, where you can get connected to other believers who are struggling and who are going to be honest enough to say, you know what? Yeah, life is. Kicking my tail, okay? Careful there. I need help. And if you're not doing that as a single person, you're probably not going to do it as a married person. Get into community. So maybe this morning, just a few possible action steps for you. Maybe today it's as simple. You, you need to start reading the Bible every day. You need to download the YouVersion Bible app or you need to walk out on the Connection Center and grab a reading plan. You need to read the Bible. Maybe it's grabbing an I Am Jesus book. There's on the back table. There's some right here on the front. Just start reading. Maybe you need to join a Connect group, sign up to serve, be a part of a discipleship. Maybe it's going to baptism class today and saying, you know what? It's time for me to take my first step of faith and proclaim that I am a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's to join A church, this church, be connected to what God is doing in a local church. Everybody tracking with me? Everybody good? We still friends? Hmm. We still friends? So let's just put a bow on this, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And if you are finding yourself struggling, the first thing I would recommend you do is pray the prayer of David. Search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. And when God reveals, I, I think David prayed the prayer with the understanding when God revealed, he would confess. And then just see God. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for a moment as the worship team's coming back up. And this morning, the, the song we're closing with is pretty simple. Lord, I need you. That's, that's basically the summary of the sermon. Lord, I need you. I, I, I can't do this married thing without you. I can't do this single thing without you. I can't do this parenting thing without you. Lord, I need you. And so as we sing in a moment, I'm going to just invite you to, maybe you just need to come forward to the altar and say, God, I I need you. And just recommit. God, I'm going to seek you first, love you with all my heart, soul, strength and mind. And and then I'm going to let you give me the strength to love my neighbor as as myself. Would you stand with me? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that, that he is our everything in Christ alone. We find our strength, we find our hope, we find our life. And I pray this morning that if you have revealed in our life, God, that we are not seeking you with everything we have, that we would make it right today, that we would seek you. We love you, Lord. And, and as we sing, this is our prayer, Lord, we, we need you. It's in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus we pray.